podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 26th of March. Another week is over. We are brought to you by epillindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network. allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix that you may not normally be able to get, use your Now TV outside the UK if that's something you need to do, Also keeps your data safe online, which is the most important thing. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. And we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. That's a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks. uh, Quiet day, obviously. International break. World Cup qualifiers going on yesterday. Uh, England beat San Marino 5-0. Very, very exciting stuff. Um, brought out some of the Brexit ears, though. We had Gary Lineker and Rob Green both come out and suggest that, uh, well, Rob Green said that San Marino had done nothing to qualify to play against England. This is international football. Being a nation qualifies you automatically to play international football. Gary Lineker said that teams like San Marino, he didn't name them specifically, but he meant San Marino, should have to play against other teams of their nature to qualify for the right to play against England. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, but England haven't won anything in over 50 years. What on earth gives them the right to dictate who can and can't play? Let's also factor in that England is actually part of Britain and that in truth, Britain should only have one football team. However, you get four. So maybe Mr. Lineker should concern himself more with whether or not Britain should only have one team or whether it should stay as four. Now, I will say I'm not completely against their point. It's the way they went about it, this demeaning, condescending way of speaking down. You see, what this is, is this is Gary Lineker and Rob Green punching down on smaller, lesser countries. For the players of San Marino, the opportunity to play against England will be the highlight of their career. So why would we want to take that away from them? They won't care that they lost 5-0. They'll care that they shared the pitch with England. As I said, I'm not completely against the idea, and I do think there are ways that we could make the World Cup better, and one of those ways would be to make it a cup competition, an actual cup competition. Not group stages to qualify into more group stages. From the start, make it a cup competition. Make it open draw. If you want to seed the top five or six, in each continent, that's fine. 
but make it an open draw so that it's two legs and you're out. And that's it. If England had drawn San Marino, they would play them home and away. If England won, which you would assume they would, they would move on to the next round and San Marino would then be out. If that's what you want to do, that I, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with punching down. I don't like when I see it, especially from somebody like Gary Lineker. You know, I, I look at Lineker and I think, great player, great presenter, dreadful when he starts to get into the punditry. Let's run through some of Gary Lineker's goals for England. So his first international goal was against the Republic of Ireland. I assume he has no problem with us playing football. His next two came against the United States of America in a 5-0 win. Now, the same scoreline as yesterday. That was in 1985. America, 25, 35 years later, have finally got a really talented team. And they've had some talented teams over the last you know, 25 years. But in Lineker's view, they shouldn't have been allowed on the pitch with England. Um, next up then... He scores a hat-trick against Turkey as England beat them 5-0 in the 1986 FIFA World Cup qualifiers. Then he scores a hat-trick against Poland. He scores two against uh, Paraguay and one against Argentina. That's all fine. Then he scores two against Northern Ireland. He scores four against Spain uh, in a friendly. One against Brazil. One against West Germany. A hat-trick again, against Turkey in an 8-0 win. Should Turkey, therefore, be just abolished and banned from international football, no longer have the right to play against the greatness that is England? And then he scores against the Netherlands and Colombia and Switzerland, and then Albania in a 5-0 win. So maybe they should be taken out as well. And then he scores against Poland... Denmark, Brazil, Denmark again, Ireland again. A couple against Cameroon in the World Cup when he cheated for penalties. Scores against West Germany. Hungary, Poland, Cameroon, Argentina, New Zealand. Because they won only 1-0, that one's probably fine, even though New Zealand were trash at the time. Scores four against Malaysia in a... 4-2 friendly win. I mean, Malaysia, really? Poland, France. And then his final goal uh, comes against the Co Commonwealth of Independent States, which is what replaced the Soviet Union. But, like, if you look at those, you've got two against America, who, you know, didn't really play a whole bunch of football at the time. Three against Turkey. Another three against Turkey. That gets eight. Albania would be nine. And we'll take the four against Malaysia. That's 13 of Gary Lineker's 48 England goals. Scored against teams that were, at the time, dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Some still finding their way in football. But should we just take those? Actually, New Zealand as well. Let's take that one away as well. That's 14. I don't like odd numbers. That's 14. That would put Gary Lineker down to 34 international goals. Which, 
you know, rather than making him one of England's greatest ever strikers, would just make him a very good striker for England. Not someone who challenged Bobby uh, Bobby Charlton's record. Just, you know, a run-of-the-mill good striker for England. So maybe that's what we'll do. We'll take all the teams who were really bad when Gary Lineker played against them, and we'll just null and void his goals. Because he wants to null and void San Marino's right to play. And he doesn't have that right. And he should really be far more careful before he mouths off on social media. This is the second or third time he's done something like this in the last year or so. And I do think he just needs to be a bit more careful. Because, like I say, nobody likes to see a bully punching down. Um... Not a whole lot else going on. England did lose 1-0 in the uh, under-21 European Championship. Very, very disappointing result against Switzerland. Now, the problem with this is that England have a very, very impressive under-21 squad. And you can go through the names and there's Premier League players in here. Um, In terms of goalkeepers, there's Aaron Ramsdale of Sheffield United. Uh, Joseph Bursick, who's the better goalkeeper, plays for Stoke. He's out on loan at Doncaster. Max Ahrens, super talented. Ben Godfrey, Godfrey of Everton, very, very good. Mark Guahy, uh on loan at Swansea from Chelsea, very, very good. Lloyd Kelly's very talented. Ryan and Stephen Sessignon are both very talented. Ryan being the more talented of the twins. Uh, Jaffet Tenganga and Ben Wilmot. That's the defensive group. That's a really good group of defenders at that age group. In midfield, you've got Tom Cantwell, top, sorry, Todd Cantwell, Tom Davies, Ebrecha Easy, Connor Gallagher, Curtis Jones, Dwight McNeil, and Oliver Skip. Again, a very, very talented group of midfielders. If you had that with a Premier League team, you'd actually be quite happy. And up front, then, you've got Rian Brewster, Mason Greenwood, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Noni Mudiecki, Eddie Nketiah, and Emil Smith-Rowe. I mean, if you put this group in the right hands, they'd probably finish mid-table in the Premier League. <laughs> they lost 1-0 to Switzerland because they're managed by A.D. Boothroyd. Now, A.D. Boothroyd is someone that's been in the England setup since 2014. He managed Watford, did okay, managed Colchester, did okay. Went to Coventry, was awful, got sacked. Went back to, I'll say, then went to Northampton, didn't do very well there, got sacked. And then got brought into the England setup. And for some reason, has been able to progress his way all the way to being the under 21 manager. Now, There's nothing on his CV that suggests he is of the level required to be put in charge of the future of English football, this incredibly gifted group of players. And if you look at the players that, you know, are recent call-ups, uh, Reese James, James Justin, Tariq Lamptey, Baki Osaka, Brandon Williams, Jude Bellingham, Phil Foden, 
Jamal Musiala. Maybe that's why he chose to go and play for um, to go and play for Germany. But there's a sensational group of players available to England at under twenty one level. And those are just the players that were called up and remain eligible for doing the 21s. There's others that have passed the age group now. But it, it's, it really is staggering to me that they could put all of this talent in the hands of a, goal, of, a, of a manager with no track record. It's the same thing at the senior level, obviously, with Southgate, who was a bad club manager, went to manage during the 23, uh, during the 21s, and worked his way on. Is is A.D. Boothroyd next in line to replace Southgate? It's It really is incredible that England, with all the talent that they have on the field, have such mediocrity in the dugout. And, you know, you look around the English game, and there's not a whole bunch of great English coaches out there in the lower leagues, there's some very talented ones who, if they get the right opportunities, could prove themselves and, and you know, step up into the Premier League in a year or two. Like if Danny Cowley does well at Portsmouth, I, I think a Premier League job is in his future. Nigel Atkins, we saw previously, he's just taken the Charlton job. We've seen him previously work his way into the Premier League. Should have been given more of an opportunity, but, you know, it is what it is. But if you look at the Premier League, Sean Dyche and Graham Potter are the only two English managers in the league now that you would want at your club. You wouldn't want Bruce or Hodgson, and and that's what these two are. They're 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 Hodgsons. Obviously, Chris Wilder's gone. Eddie Howe's gone. You you would you would want them. Eddie Howe's the exactly the guy I would want in charge of that on the twenty one team. And the day he resigned as Bournemouth manager, I'd been making a phone call. Do you fancy coming and managing the England under-21 team? Because with respect to A.D. Boothroyd, he's out of his depth. And he was massively outcoached in that game. Massively outcoached. Um, very, very disappointing. The EFL and the Premier League are hopeful of fans returning potentially as soon as the Carabao Cup final, which could be used as a test event for the return of fans to stadiums. Now, no decision has been made yet, and obviously it depends on on Bojo and, uh, and his brigade of idiots in terms of what is due to happen. Um, there should potentially be fans back at Premier League games from May 17th, according to the current roadmap. Which, you know, when you hear things like that the government have extended the the COVID laws for six months, you don't really have that much faith that 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 reopening at the end of May is is going to happen. When you hear what's happening here, where we're meant to come out of lockdown on April the fifth, and um, the the health organisations are suggesting no, no, like let's push this to June. But let's not tell anybody until the last minute, just in case they get upset. And then they wonder why people go and protest. Now, I think people that protest are idiots, and they're part of the reason that we're still in lockdown. But at the end of the day, they're protesting because they're frustrated, because there's no transparency from the governments. 
So I wouldn't be getting too excited about football fans coming back at any point this season. And I really wouldn't have any faith in them being at the Carabao Cup final. Um, the Premier League have confirmed that next season will begin on August 14th and will end on May 22nd. So that's a more normal season than we're used to, than, than we've had this season. It's more what we're used to. Um, it is a little bit of a quick turnaround, but at least they've given the extra week. It was originally meant to start on August the 7th, but they have pushed it back that week. Um, for Celtic fans, you'd either be pleased to know or devastated to know that Scott Brown is to leave the club. Uh, he is heading on to take up a player coach role at Aberdeen. Now, he's been at Celtic 14 years. Um, he has been part of a great era. But it is time for him to move on. At some point, Scott Brown became more interested in narc and needle and kicking people than playing football. And it's a shame because he was a very talented football player. But he became too interested in being this pantomime villain. And um, for the last few years, the team have been carrying him. Um, Marcus Rashford has been ruled out of all three of England's um, World Cup qualifiers and has returned to Manchester United to get treatment on his ankle. And finally, Prince Abdullah, the owner of Sheffield United, has claimed that Chris Wilder attempted to resign from the club in December and then demanded a £4 million severance fee before leaving. Um, get every penny you can, Chris Wilder. This man is Prince Abdullah. You know, he's not normal Abdullah. He's Prince Abdullah. Take every penny you can. That is pretty much all the news for today. I don't really want to get into the international stuff. Scotland drew. Northern Ireland lost. It's all very, very dull. International football is just a bit dull. They need to shake it up. Give the bad teams a 2-0 head start. Make it fun. Or make the good teams play with 10 men. Um, I had one question from yesterday that I missed, and uh, apologies to Mikhail Campbell, who sends questions every week. I missed this one yesterday, so I've decided to answer it for you now. You've asked me to pick a best 11 from the Balkans. So I'm going to take a quick ad break, and when I come back, I'm going to do that. Right then, welcome back. Uh, so again, the question from Mikhail Campbell is to pick a best 11 ever from the Balkans. Now, he did suggest in a, an act of blasphemy that Dejan the Pebble Lovren get some consideration. Um, no, absolutely not. Uh, the only consideration I would give him would be whether or not to have him shine my shoes or clean my car. When I hire him as my butler, that would be the only consideration um, that the pebble will ever get from me. The worst centre-back to play regularly for Liverpool Football Club. The worst. Dreadful. Um, right. So traditionally, historically speaking, the Balkans comprises of Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Bulgaria, Croatia, Greece, Kosovo, Montenegro, Macedonia, now known, known as North Macedonia because the Greeks had a temper tantrum, Romania, Serbia, and Slovenia. So 
I'm guessing you don't want me to include Bulgarian, Greek, or Romanian players, that you're more talking about the former Yugoslav, Yugoslav states. So that's kind of what, that's what I've gone with. So I've left out Stoichkov, I've left out Hadji, um, I left out Jika Popescu, Dan Petrescu, left out Berbatov. I just went with the former Yugoslav states. And uh, I couldn't pick a match day. I, I couldn't pick an 11. I picked a match day 18 because that's just how pedantic I am. Um, starting in goal from Slovenia, Jan Oblak. I think he's the best goalkeeper in the world. At 28, he's still in his prime and he's just, he is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Five times Slovenian player of the year. Uh, he is going to hopefully lead Atletico Madrid to the league title this year. He's been there now seven years and has been sensational for all of them. Um, a brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper. So Jan Oblak is the goalkeeper for me. At right back, I've gone for Dario Serna of uh, Croatia, the current director of football at Shakhtar Donetsk, the club he is most strongly associated with, played for them. From 2003 to 2018, um, finished his career at Cagliari. 134 caps and 22 goals for Croatia. For my money, he was the best right back in the world for a couple of years. Uh, big, big fan. Always found it a shame that he stayed with Shakhtar so long, but it's understandable that he did. Um, at centre-back, the first one I'm going with is Slavin Bilic. Um, 44 caps for Croatia part of that brilliant Croatian team at the 96 Euros played for Karlsruhe West Ham, Everton most of his career was spent at Hajduk Split or the early part I should say Hajduk Split um, Hajduk, Hajduk Split I, I don't know how to say that somebody somebody tweet me and let me know phonetically how to say that I'd be interested um, Better known to most people now as a manager, having you know been at West Ham, been at West Brom, but he was a great defender. Uh, many people will remember his play acting in the 1998 World Cup semi-final against France, where he threw himself to the ground holding his face after Laurent Blanc, uh, Laurent Blanc pushed him in the chest. But he was a great defender, so... Uh, Slavin Bilic is in as the right centre-back. Nemanja Vidic will partner him. Serbian centre-back who won 56 caps. Obviously played for Manchester United for eight years. Uh, was the best centre-back in the world for a couple of them. Um, carried Rio Ferdinand for a number of years. Uh, taught Rio Ferdinand how to, how to be a centre-back really. And yet is mocked by 14-year-olds on Twitter who never saw him play because Fernando Torres rinsed him a couple of times. Uh, Nemanja Vidic was a great centre-back. And, um, yeah, he's the left centre-back. And the left-back then would be Robert Jarni, uh, Croatian, 80 caps for Croatia, seven for Yugoslavia before that, was part of that brilliant Yugoslav team that went to the 1990 World Cup and the Croatian team of 96. Uh, played for, again, for uh, Hajduk Split. Barry, Torino, Juventus, Real Betis, signed for Coventry 
had just signed the contract, got a phone call from Real Madrid, and um, had to immediately turn around and ask him, could he leave again? So he did. He went off to Real Madrid and uh, finished out his career with Las Palmas and Panikonaitos. A, a brilliant attacking left-back, pace, brilliant delivery, an absolute howitzer of a left foot. Um a, a tremendous player, a, 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 a tremendous player. Uh, he'd be the left back. Going for a, a bit of a box midfield here. So we've got two Yugoslavs at the, in the deeper roles, two uh, Croatians in the more attacking roles. Dragan Stojkovic, potentially the best player ever from this region. Uh, part of the great Yugoslav team um, of the 80s and into 90. Part of that wonderful Red Star Belgrade team. Now, he wasn't with them when they won the Champions League or the the European Cup as it was. Uh, he had gone to Marseille. Um, he was he was a great, great player. Um, just as someone to run the midfield, it's absolutely him. He could have played anywhere. He could play as a 10, as a 6, as an 8. In a double pivot, he could play up front if you need them to. Just a sensational talent. Um, did win a Champions League with with Marseille, but barely played for Marseille because of injuries. But he he was the best player of his era from that region, and, and maybe the best player ever. Uh, partnering him, I've gone with Dejan Stankovic, uh, Serbian, one hundred and three caps, Red Star Belgrade part of the brilliant Lazio team that won the title, part of the, my favourite midfield of all time, went on to Inter Milan and uh, played up until he was, you know, 35 at a high level, won the Champions League with them, just a an excellent all-round player who could play anywhere. Play him at full-back, you could play him at centre-back, you could play Anywhere across the midfield, if you need to play off, off the front man, he could do that as well. Scored one of the best goals the Champions League has ever seen too. So, yeah, Dejan Stankovic would sit in there and um, just fill in the gaps. That's what that's what he did best. He filled in the gaps. Uh, the more attacking to Zvonimir Boban, um, 49 caps for Croatia after seven for Yugoslavia. Missed the World Cup in 90. I think he was suspended, wasn't he? Um, he was once he was suspended for kicking a policeman at one point uh, during an on-field riot. I'm not sure if that was then or later, but again, part of that brilliant Croatian team of '96. Best known for his time at AC Milan uh, under Fabio Capello, was just a great, great player. Super creative, an inventive passer, a brilliant player, an absolutely brilliant player. Could watch him play for days. And next time I'm going with Luka Modric, who I don't think Luka Modric needs much said about him. 134 caps for Croatia. He's been incredible for Real Madrid. Key part of four Champions Leagues. Was great for Spurs before that. Luka Modric walks into the team. Uh, off the striker then, it is Dejan Savicevic. Um, 56 caps for the Yugoslavia. Was part of, again, that Red Star Belgrade team that won the European Cup, went on to Milan, won the European Cup with them. Just maybe the best left foot anyone's ever had. An absolute, well, other than Maradona, but an absolutely sensational player. Lazy as all hell, but 
talent for days and days and days. And partnering him, Davor Suker, um, now the president of the Croatian Football Federation, don't you know, uh, 65 caps, sorry, 69 caps for Croatia, 45 goals, played for Dinamo Zagreb, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Arsenal, West Ham, and 1860 Munich scored goals for fun. When Capello took over at Real Madrid the first time, Sucre was one of his first signings, and he absolutely tore La Liga up in that first season, just banging in goals, 24 goals in 38 games, the best season of his career uh, overall. He scored 29 and 43, part of the Real team that would win the Champions League the following year. Him, Predrag Mijatovic and Raul as your front three, they were just, they were ridiculous. Um, again, as, as I said, I picked a match the 18, so my backup goalkeeper is also Slovenian. I've gone for Samir Handanovic, who I think is is a, a great goalkeeper. 81 caps for Slovenia. Basically only retired because he wanted to pass the torch to Oblak. Um, still going for Inter Milan. He's been there now since 2012, having arrived from Udinese, where he'd spent eight years. He was 28 when he joined, and he's still first choice. <laughs> Crazy. Great, great goalkeeper. Um, I've picked two defenders. I've gone for Ivanovic, 105 caps for Serbia. Was obviously was phenomenal for Chelsea for a long, long time. Um, big, big fan of, of Ivanovic when he was at his best. Now he's a shell of himself and should probably be retired. But look, keep getting those checks. Uh, Igor Stimac is my other defender. I, I just enjoyed watching him play. And I, I loved when he arrived at Derby County because it was just so unexpected. Um, again, part of that brilliant Croatian team in 96. Um, I've gone for two defenders, two midfielders, and two attackers, but I do have one that hasn't made the bench, so I'll get to him. But my two midfielders, Miralem Pjanic, I just, I've always liked him. From when he was at Mets and then Leon, and then Liverpool had the opportunity to sign him and sign some mouth breeder instead. Um... He was great for Roma, really good for Juve. It hasn't really worked from a, at Barcelona, admittedly, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, could very well have become the greatest ever player to play for Luxembourg. Played for them at under-17 and under-19 level uh, after his family fled there during the Balkan Wars. But um, just a great, great player. Mirlan Pjanic, I think, is, is, is worthy of a place in this squad. Uh, Robert Prozanecki. In terms of talent, maybe the most talented player of all listed here um, was that Dinamo Zagreb as a kid. They deemed him not talented enough. His dad and his, I think it was his dad or his uncle, knew that this kid was spectacular. Zagreb wouldn't put him in the first team. He took him, he brought him to Belgrade, to Red Star, and he just exploded. He was incredible for them. Again, part of that phenomenal team that would go on to uh, to win the European Cup. Um, left from there, went to Real Madrid. It didn't really work for him. It was probably too big of a move at the time. He had a couple of years there, but went on loan to Oviedo. Made the very unusual move at the time of then joining Barcelona. Then went to Sevilla. Then went back to Croatia. 
uh, was at standard Liège. A lot of people will remember his season at Portsmouth, which was a lot of fun. But again, part of the Croatian team in 90, the Yugoslav team in 96. Uh, Robert Prozanecki would always get my my nod. If he'd just been more consistent, I think if he... I don't know if cared more is the right way to say it, but he he, he never he always looked like he might have, you know, partaken in a few beverages the night before. Always looked a little bit hungover. Um, up front, then, uh, in terms of backup strikers, I think Eden Dzeko deserves to be mentioned. 113 caps for Bosnia, 59 goals. He's the best Bosnian player of all time. Um, brilliant for Wolfsburg. Good for Man City. Brilliant for Roma. I think Eden Dzeko is, is worthy of a spot. And the other striker I've got is Darko Panchev, who was the main goal scorer in that Red Star team and terrorized defenses all over Europe. Um, he'd started his career with Vardar. He'd scored 132 in 207. Went to Red Star, took that to another level. And then it, it never really worked for me. He moved to Inter Milan, which Inter Milan in the, in the 90s was a graveyard for players. Like if there was an exciting young player, send them to Inter Milan and that would be the end of their career. So many top, top players went there and just it didn't work for them. For whatever reason, it just didn't work for them. They all suffered massive dips in form. There was something about Inter Milan in the 90s. Um, and it was no different for him. Fortuna Dusseldorf, it didn't really improve. Um, he played for Yugoslavia and then Macedonia after the breakup. He was a great goal scorer, though. And if you go back and watch footage of that Red Star Belgrade team and just watch his endless runs in behind with Savicevic playing just off him, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. He was playing at such a high level um, when he was at Red Star. It was he literally terrified defenses. Um, and then the other one who didn't make the eighteen, but probably should have. But he was more just a, a favorite of mine. I mentioned him earlier, Miatovic. I saw him first when he was with Valencia, and he was really, really good. And then he joined Real, and he played with Suker and Raúl, and. He got overshadowed by those two, but he was just brilliant. He was the runner-up for the Ballon d'Or in 1997. That's how good he was for Real in that first year. Um, but he did get overshadowed by Suker's goals and Raul being the golden boy. But that was a great team. I mean, you look at... Um, Sedorf, Carambu, and Redondo in midfield. Roberto Carlos, Hierro, Manolo, and or was it, it was Manolo, yeah, and um, Panucci at right back, and then uh, Bodo Wilgner in goal. It was it was a great, great Real Madrid team, and he was probably the most important part of it after Redondo, but he was often overlooked. So he would he would be deserving of a spot in this. So it's a 19-man match day squad, and if anyone has a problem with that, go listen to something else. Um, I'm going to finish up very quickly with the gossip, and then we'll get out of here. 
Arsenal have no chance of signing Real Madrid loanee Martin Odegaard on a permanent deal with the Spanish Giants still seeing the Norwegian attacking midfielder as a key part of their long-term plans. That's from Marca, which means that that's just propaganda for Real Madrid saying we want lots and lots of money because we're broke. Um, Liverpool's Dutch midfielder Jeannie Wijnaldum will wait will need to wait until Barcelona offload Miralem Pjanic before he can seal a move to the new camp. I don't believe that to be true at all. Inter Milan and Belgium striker Romelu Lukaku is also a target for Barca boss Ronald Koeman. Um, Lukaku would score for fun in Spain. I think he'd be better off staying where he is, though. Liverpool are considered the favourites to land Daniel Madden, despite Daniel Malin, despite interest in the 22-year-old Dutchman from Juventus and AC Milan. I really like Daniel Malin. I would be very much in favour of him joining Liverpool. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is in line for a new contract, even if Manchester United end the season without a trophy. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, five years, nice big pay rise, fully guaranteed the lot. Great great deal for everybody. Um, Sheffield, yeah, Prince Abdullah, blah, blah, blah. Roma legend Francesco Totti can now operate as a sports agent after completing his registration in Italy. If you're a young Italian player, and you can choose any agent. You're going to pick Totti, aren't you? Just to hear the stories. Because he's an absolute icon. Barcelona are interested in Eintracht Frankfurt's 25-year-old Portuguese striker, Andre Silva. I think a lot of clubs will be interested in Andre Silva this year. I genuinely do. Uh, he's having a great season. He's a very, very good player. Zinedine Zidane's future at Real Madrid beyond this season remains clear amid interest from the French Football Association. French Football Federation, I should say. The 48-year-old is under contract until 2022. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets calls from Juventus either. Um, but yeah, I, I think look, I think he needs to leave Real. I just don't think it's going well. I don't think he's got the eye on youth that you need um, at the moment at Real. And France need a change as well because Deschamps is... He's the worst manager to ever win a World Cup. Um, Egypt have declared they want Mo Salah to form part of the final squad for the Olympic Games, which means you would miss Liverpool's get get out. No Mo Salah going to the Olympic Games would be ridiculous. You're going to lose anyway. Just going to waste his time. He will want to go, which is the worst part of it. Real Betis and Argentina midfielder Guido Rodriguez says he's aware of reported interest from Arsenal. That just means he has Twitter. Uh, Liverpool have reignited their interest in Real Betis and France forward Nabil Fakir, who was close to joining the Reds in 2018. However, Inter Milan and Rennes are also interested. I would have great doubts that Liverpool have any interest, absolutely any interest in him at this point. Uh, Manchester United hope Bruno Fernandes can help lure his compatriot Pedro Neto to Old Trafford from Wolves, with the winger expected to cost as much as £40 million this summer. I don't think Wolves sell him. I think it's Adama Traore that leaves this summer. Uh, Southampton centre-back Yannick Vestergaard says it is always a pat on the back to be linked with other big clubs after reports Tottenham are interested in signing him. Whoever they sell him to, they're going to be, they're going to be stealing money. Stealing money. Uh, Benfica have distanced themselves from reports saying they're close to signing Spanish forward Diego Costa, who's been without a club since leaving Atletico Madrid. Yeah, that's understandable. I, I would distance myself from that as well. West Ham and Crystal Palace are both interested in signing 30-year-old Welsh midfielder Aaron Ramsey 
who earns 400 grand a week and there's absolutely not a single hope that West Ham or Crystal Palace are going to give him a fraction of it. Uh, Adrian Rabio is potentially also on his way out of um, Juventus, but he's been linked at Man City and Barcelona. Uh, and that's it. That is the show for today. That is us for the week. Thank you, as always, to Mr. Drinkle. Thank you to you for listening. And thank you to the lads at Foxhorn for the music. Uh, take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. Enjoy whatever you do this weekend. There's no club football, so there's nothing to be too upset about. But, um, yeah, see you Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.